Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Hello and welcome to the Knowledge is Powered Up podcast, the perfect way to spend your time when you're not skiing, which is probably about 358 days of the year, I'm guessing. Um, as always, I'm joined by our font of ski knowledge, Ian Martin. Hello, Ian. Hi there, Jim. How are you going? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, coming up in today's show, we will be looking at the options for ski training in the UK, chatting to Snowcap, a charity that uses skiing to help inner city children realise their potential. And I will be going on a skiing day trip to Lazark on the Eurostar. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share us with your geeky ski mates. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Ski Podcast or find us on Facebook. Um, Ian, it was my birthday uh, the other day. And I know you didn't send me a card, so don't feel bad. But one of the toys I got, uh, the presents I got, um, was a little Playmobil ski man. Oh, yeah. I've seen uh, I just... videos of them, yeah. Yeah, not a Lego one, a Playmobil yeah. one. I just wanted a big shout out to Playmobil because it's really realistic. Like it's got little bindings that work and he's got little racing um, hand shields and poles. It's brilliant. It's a lot better than Lego. Um, Ian, have you ever had a really good um, ski related birthday present? I must have uh, over the years. I've been quite lucky to have um, a few you know, free things uh, here and there. But I did get a new GoPro a couple of uh, years ago, which I guess doesn't make it very new now. And uh, although I'm still a still a learner, you know, they are actually, you know, brilliant for getting footage uh, when you're out skiing. Have you got any world best skiers mugs? <laughs> World's best I remember, buying, one for my, I remember uh, buying a golf one for my dad. Right. Sorry, you were going to say? Well, I was going to say uh, that I've, I've got a uh, mug that says World's Best Dad that I got on Father's Day a couple of years ago. And I, I did point out to kids that statistically it was probably a bit unlikely. But uh, <laughs> it's still in the cupboard. That's, um, that's, that's, um, it's still in the cupboard. It's still in the box. Going to re-gift it um, <laughs> as, as soon as, as soon as possible. Um, I once got um, a realistic telly cabin as well. Um, when I was out in the Alps, someone bought me a... You know those ones? Yes. Sorry, a telly, a telly freak. Right, yeah, I know the one. Um, that you see in the shop windows longingly and wish you had a, someone bought me one of those yeah ones. well happy birthday for last week thank you Ian um, there's a long way around about getting that uh, happy birthday out of you um, uh, also I just wanted to go back I know about a few episodes ago we started talking about ski pole uh, straps yes and we've gone through a lot of things about it and recently I was watching a video um, about a guy who got trapped in an avalanche and at the beginning of it he said this is the first time I've ever put my straps in my poles when skiing off piste because and everyone said I should do it and as he was skiing down he got caught in this seriously big avalanche and um, he was buried for about 40 minutes or something like that before he got dug out it's all on GoPro very very um, emotional to watch actually but one thing he said is was 
had I not been had my poles in my straps, I would have been able to get my airbag inflated ten seconds earlier. Okay. It's just a different way of looking at the uh, this massive ski strap pole debate. That debate that I... will run run on and on, but I'll keep using mine. <laughs> Good. No, maybe not off piste. I suppose you've got to weigh up, save your life or lose your poles. I suppose that's the big decision. Yeah, I did. I went heli skiing uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we did have airbags. And uh, you know, I was conscious of that. You know, that little thing that you got to grip and uh, pull down if if necessary. But um, I reckon I could still do it even with my straps on. Skiing is an expensive hobby. So many of us waste precious days on the slopes finding our feet and not skiing our best until about midweek. But there are ways to make sure you're ready for the slopes. Ian has been to an indoor ski training facility to find out about one of the best ways to be piste ready. Okay, uh, so I'm here in uh, Chelsky in uh, London, and uh, do you want to just uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm, my name's Kieran, I'm the assistant manager here, um, I'm a race coach, and yeah, I've just been working for Chelsky for pretty much since it's been started, about two years now, um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool, and, and so some people probably, you know, they don't really have any idea of what Chelsky is. I mean, I kind of introduced it as saying it's an uh, artificial skiing. Do you want to explain what it yeah, is? Yeah, so basically Chelsky's a big treadmill for skiing. Uh, it's the easiest way to explain it. It's on a revolving mat, um, which can go from complete standstill to approximately 30 kilometres an hour. Um, we can change the gradient as well, so we can go from completely flat to up to about 30, uh, 30 degrees. Because although, like, my kids are having a lesson at the moment and, you know, they're kind of, like, lower intermediates, you, yeah. you do get, like, really keen skiers yeah, and yeah. some racers, you know, yeah. giving it a go as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, so we, we have, like, complete first-timers that have never skied here before. Um, we actually have some people that are training for the um, Paralympic Games, actually. Oh, yeah. So that's okay. one end of the spectrum all the way through to the other end. Right, so. okay. And, and how long did you say it's been open here? Since December 2015. Yeah, and there's a clue in the in the name. It's called Chelsea, so yeah. obviously we're right in Chelsea at the moment. Yeah, I, I came to uh, Imperial Wharf uh, tube station and we walked uh, uh, from there to get here. It's half-term week at the moment, so it's very busy in there. You, you, you've obviously been busy just now. It's probably yeah, your peak so period, we're, we're, is it? We're, well, being February half-term, it is peak season. Anywhere you go in the mountains or even even here, you know, it's, it's a seasonal business. But from from approximately like September time all the way through to beginning of April, we're, we're very, very busy. Yeah, OK. And the way it works is, so the kids are on the slope at the moment and they've got an instructor there uh, with them. Yep. So in that respect, it's like a lesson. Yep. But to me, what it seems it's a much more kind of intensive way of learning. Yeah, for sure. It's there, there's a maximum of three people in a lesson. Um, if you were to go on the snow, the maximum is approximately 15 people to one instructor. Yeah. So for a very individual um, lesson, it's, it's perfect for that. And the, the slope doesn't ever have to stop, which is yeah. on the snow, you start, stop. Yeah. And wait for the group to come down here, you can just continually ski. Yeah, there's no stop. sitting on chairlifts, yeah, you know, going back it. up, etc. No cues, nothing like that. We, uh, make, yeah. we, we, we match age and ability as well, as yeah. best as we can. So I think maybe, um, you know, my approximation would be that like half an hour on the slope here must be worth probably at least three times that much oh, on the yeah, snow easily we say half an hour in here is approximately four hours right four hours okay well there you go that, even more so yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think the other thing that i like about it is that um, at the bottom of the slope 
you've got a, a mirror down there. So when your instructor's telling you what you need to do, you get immediate visual feedback on yeah, it, exactly don't you? Yeah, and, and especially, like, even for children, they, they pick it up, if you're a very visual learner, you pick it up very, very quickly because you can visually see what the instructor's doing, whether that be skiing in front of you or just watching in the mirror, you can see it. You don't have to stop and have to wait for the instructor to go down cool. and have a watch. Okay. Well, um, if people want to go, what's the website address? So it's uh, www.chelsky.co.uk. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Well, that was a good insight, Ian, into what it's like to go to um, Chelsky, which is essentially like a rolling carpet, as they uh, described it in the, the clip. I'm still yet to be convinced. Ten years ago, I did think it was a rubbish idea, and I'll tell you why. I think that it just seems a bit boring. Am I right, Ian? Is it a boring thing to do? Uh, it's not very exciting compared with going skiing on the mountain with great views and uh, fresh air, etc. But I think it can help you get more out of that trip when you actually do go to the mountain. And the cost of a session is about £40, is that right? Yeah, it sounds about right to me, yeah. So do you think you would go regularly? How about regularly? I mean, I think facts in Chelsea suggests that there's a few people who are, who are who are locals for whom you know 40 pounds on a some practice uh probably isn't going to damage their uh, their wallets uh, so much i think it's the sort of thing that you know depending where you live in the country definitely worth doing in the lead up to your an annual holiday if that's what you go on because you're going to get more out of it when you get there you know it depends whether you want to um you know, be uh, be taking lessons when you're away, but for an hour, um, you know, minute for minute, you, it's probably worth I don't know at least eight times as long um, in a private lesson with an instructor, which suddenly makes it sound incredible value for money because you know you waste loads of time being on the lift, going back up again, stopping, starting, etc. That does make um, a lot of sense. And do you feel like Ian when you used it, did you improve? Um, when I used it, all it did was make me think, God, I thought I was a good skier and this is really hard. Um, yeah, I guess so. I guess, I, you know, I really had to concentrate to be able to ski well on that surface. Interesting. Um, and so we reckon it's probably better value than a dry slope at £15 an hour. I'd say that. Um, do you think it's better than grass skiing? You ever tried that? Um, it- yeah, I did. I did grass skiing once a long time ago and that was... That was really hard. Um, you got to have a good, you know, a good surface uh, for it. I'm quite um, keen to try that. I looked at buying a pair of grass skis, but they're quite expensive. <laughs> right. Um, well, that, that that episode I want to hear the one yeah. where Jim goes grass skiing. <laughs> yeah, I'm up for it. We'll both go. It'll be a, a race. We can meet up. Um, uh, what else did I want to know from you? Um, do you think any of the pros have one of these in their sheds? Like, do you think uh, Marcel, Hirsch and um, Christopherson, do you think they've got one in the back of the shed for training? No, I don't think they do. Although some, you know, racers do practice on these things. And I think, you know, that, that actually reminds me of... Um, I don't know if you've ever read that book by Malcolm Gladwell, um, where you know he's looking at um, ten thousand hours being the magic figure that you need uh, for for practice. On uh, if you want to become the master of something, you need to do ten thousand hours. That's the rule uh, to be world class in any particular sport or skill, whether it's playing the violin, etc. But if you're a ski racer interestingly is that you know when they practice they probably get about six to ten runs 
in a day. And when they ski, they might only ski for a minute at a time down that run. So they're actually getting about 10 minutes a day uh, in terms of practice. And if you look at that, you know, on an annual basis, then that might only be 20 hours per year. So nowhere near that kind of theory of the 10,000 uh, hours that uh, you need to become a master. So who knows? Maybe they do have it in their shed and that's where they're getting all their extra practice in. If you are wondering um, if you're the only person to listen to this show, you're definitely not. Ian's going to prove that now with a review. Um, yeah, well, I saw this one on the uh, Snowheads forum, which is a, a great website if you've uh, never had a look at it. Uh, and a couple of people there talking about the uh, podcast and a guy called Clan Chief said, really enjoyed this guy's, which... I think means these guys, but uh, really enjoyed these guys. Even the newsy jingle, LOL. That's you, you, yeah, well, you, you tracked down that jingle, didn't you play it or create it yourself? I did, sadly. Um, we're not going to use it anymore because we're, we're not going to do any news. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, what's his name? Clan Chief. Clan Chief, we'll play it for you right now. And while it's playing, uh, it gives me an opportunity to say, I've also got a review. Um, do you remember Dave, um, the ski instructor from a few weeks ago in Switzerland? Yeah, yeah, of course. When we were in the green room, um, the virtual <laughs> green room um, that I was still recording, um, he had these nice words to say about us. Really keep up the great work you're doing with this uh, with this podcast. I listen to a lot of skiing podcasts, and uh, and this one certainly offers me a whole new perspective on on um, you know a lot of the other podcasts I listen to are quite focused on ski technique, but uh, this one gives you a a real sort of insight into 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 what you know the the, the holiday skier thinks. I think it's really really cool for us as well. And coming from a pro, I think that's pretty good, Ian. What do you think? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, all all comments, feedback are welcome. On which point, I should probably chip in. It's, it's great if you can review us on iTunes. I noticed that um, our latest uh, review was a three-star review. We've had 13 five-star reviews, three four-star reviews, and someone did a three-star review. Now, I don't have a problem at all if someone thinks we're only worth three stars, or that has brought our rating down slightly. But they didn't say why. Tell us why you think it's only three stars if you only want to give us three stars. You know, don't be shy. Don't be shy. We want to know. Maybe we can change it. I think they should also introduce that system at um, places like McDonald's and Burger King's. If someone's got three stars on their badge, there should be a long explanation of why they've only got <laughs> three stars. I thought with McDonald's, it was how long they'd worked for the company, not how good they were at the job. I'm here today with uh, Snow Camp. They're the uh, snow sports charity based down here in Brighton, which is, I thought, uh, have been along, not been along for a, a while, but I, I came across um, your video recently, uh, the, the Switch 180 campaign, and it made me think I need to I need to catch up again. So I've come into your offices, and today we've got uh, maybe like to introduce yourself. Yeah, and my name's Laura Kinnear, and I'm the operations director here at Snow Camp. Great, and we've got... And I'm Dan Keeley, I'm the partnerships and community manager. Cool. OK, well, um, great to have you uh, on the show. And what I'd like to do to start off with, I thought maybe it might be useful, uh, perhaps, Lara, if you just uh, you know, brought us up to date for people who are not familiar with Snow Camp already as to what you do. Yeah, so we're the UK's only uh, youth snow sports charity. Uh, we work with inner city young people who would never have access to skiing or snowboarding without the charity support. Um, we currently deliver 95% of our programmes in the UK at the indoor slopes. 
and it's about teaching young people life skills through snow sports. So for us, snow sports is a tool of engagement. So, so if you've seen the video, Switch 180, and if you look up that hashtag, Switch 180, I think it's pretty obvious. But I think what you're saying to me, like, uh, I, you know, underprivileged people living in the inner city, probably never seen snow, will never get close to a skiing holiday, but this gives them the opportunity? Yeah, it gives them the opportunity to learn the, the sport of skiing and snowboarding, but it's really about the personal development that you learn. You know, when you first put on a ski or snowboard, it levels the playing field. It doesn't matter your weight, your height, your size, your religion. Anyone can put on a pair of skis or a snowboard and have a go. And when you're learning, you need perseverance, overcoming fear, determination, listening, you know, teamwork. All those amazing skills that aren't just relevant to skiing or snowboarding, they're relevant to life itself, to getting jobs and employment. And that's, for us, about making those connections between those skills you learn on the slope into real life great yeah no i think anyone who's 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 learned to ski or snowboard appreciates the kind of <laughs> challenge that you uh you take on at the time and and i think i'm right in saying uh, dan that in some cases that can lead to employment within the industry as well yeah that's right so obviously we're dedicated to snow sports charity so over the past 15 years we've got you know just built up an amazing reputation and uh, collaboration really of all corners of the snow sports industry um, so when the young person completes the core 12 month journey of programs with snow camp we are about you know promoting as many opportunities that they can sort of within the industry whether they uh, are with a placement with, uh, as one of our five apprentices or we've got what's called the youth forum so the, the apprentices who work here with snow camp yourself yeah you know I mean? so so the five apprentices that we have year year help deliver the programs with the next wave of young people coming through but if right. they're not helping to deliver the programs then we sort of satellite them out to different companies yeah. in the snow sports industry um which, which obviously just gives them but some people some people end up working as instructors is that right yeah they do they do yeah we have young people so um we run an instructor training program so in a year we could take a young person 16 plus from a complete beginner all the way through to a level one snow sport england or snow sport scotland instructor yeah and with that qualification there's like two elements. One, we get them to come back and teach on our beginner programs. So if you're a new young person just learning to skill snowboard with snow camp, you're being taught by a snow camp young person who was just like you a year ago, who is a ski instructor. Yeah. So that really raises aspirations to those ones starting out to say, wow, Stacey's a ski instructor. Yeah. She lives in Brixton on my estate <laughs> and she's been to the mountains. Yeah. Wow, that could be me too. And it just does. That's it great. That kind of and I think, um, you know, I, I went to Chelsky uh, a little while ago. My, my co-host Jim is going to uh, Chelsky soon as well. And at Chelsky, there's definitely at least some members of staff who've been through the snow camp programme, aren't there? Is that yeah, right? it's fantastic to have um, a central London ski slope. You know, it's yeah. young people to be able to have jobs and employment in London. Um, we've got a number of them that it's a great transition from snow camp to actually work yeah. in the industry. And the courses that um, that people uh, you know that you take on go and do, they would be um, in the UK and overseas. Uh, no, they're all uh, British young people. Or, or, or they're sorry, I meant where they go to do the courses. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So yeah, ninety-five percent of the programs take place at the snow domes or artificial slopes. So depending on the area of the country, depends on the location. Um, but we do take them out to the mountains for that end part on their instructor training um, for a very specialised reason of them getting their shadowing hours yeah. for the qualification. Um, which again, it's you know amazing. But so in the, in the first case, you might be going up to Hemel Hempstead to the snow centre, for example, something like that. Yeah, that's where they'll go. Yeah, the London program runs out of Hemel. Yeah. Um, 
our Scotland program, we do get on the mountains a lot quicker. Okay. We've got Glencoe, so yeah. we can get them up to um, Glencoe if there's enough snow at certain times of the year. So that's brilliant that we can use the Scottish Highlands for that. Um, but the rest of the programmes, yeah, are all delivered. That's great. So, so I was you know, prompted to uh, remind myself about Snow Camp again because I recently saw a, what I would describe as a, you know exceptional promotional video uh, called Switch 180. How did that come about, and what was your what's the thinking behind that? Yeah, I mean, uh, Anna, our marketing manager, has just done an amazing job. You're working with, um, you know, a wonderful sort of PR team behind the scenes. But, um, you know, we, we've always got to involve and pump out new messages as a charity. And, you know, we're very fortunate to have an amazing supporter base of, you know, snow sports enthusiasts out there. But we wanted to essentially promote a wider message, and you know, that anybody across society could understand whether you're a snow sports lover uh, or not. So the, the whole notion of, you know, switching a young person's late, uh, life 180 degrees is beautifully simple is, yeah. is what we thought and you know it's just perfect timing for us obviously we've just been expanding nationally over the past five years with our five now campaign to, to establish ourselves yeah. in five cities by 2018 um so yeah it's just perfect timing for us to, and, and do you want to give me uh, or give our listeners a little pricey of of the kind of the story what happens in the video to yeah, yeah. Well, it tells the story of um, Laquan. He, I think, Lara's, um, you know, seen his journey over the past couple of years. I mean, he is a real. The 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 star of the uh, video is a real snow camp uh, graduate, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a real snow camp young person, and it's just about how you know by giving a positive experience and opportunity for a young person, it does help maybe change their life from being drawn into crime and antisocial behaviour. And we actually did some research. On young with young people and um, three out of four of them said that they felt there was a direct link between the lack of opportunity and the risk of falling into antisocial behaviour and for us to be there as a charity providing positive opportunities qualifications and work experience it just can help draw young people away from maybe yeah. a negative path with the influences on their estate to something more positive to get them yeah. know, somewhere in life. I think you know to me one of the things that's always struck me about snow camp and one of the reasons why I think it's very important within the industry is there is this uh, kind of perception of skiing as being an elitist type of activity. And, you know, perhaps, you know, to a certain degree, you know, that's true. To be able to go on a, certain, on a skiing holiday costs quite a lot of money. But what you're able to do and what you're doing with your charity is helping not to kind of dispel that, but to to equalise it a little bit more and introduce skiing and snowboarding to people who wouldn't necessarily uh, get the chance. And obviously, as a charity, <laughs> excuse me, you're co- completely driven by by donations. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the point of this campaign is to try and increase your uh, uh, donations. Yeah, we're re- really fortunate. Um, you know, not not just support from individual uh, funders, but also you know trust grants and foundations and, and our industry partners who yeah. rally rally behind us. But if you've got if people are listening to this and they think you know this has struck a chord, you know what can they do as individuals to help support Snow Camp? Yeah. So as part of our campaign, we have got a text to donate. Um, if someone wanted to donate five pounds to Snow Camp, you can text Snow to seven zero six six zero, and check out www.snow-camp.org.uk, and you'll have all the information about the charity and our Switch One Eighty campaign is the first thing that comes up. So definitely watch the video if you haven't already. Great. Well, I mean that sounds like a, a good way to wrap it up. So just uh, have a if you if you haven't checked out Snow Camp before, have a look at their uh, website. Have a look at the video, or just go for it and text Snow to seven zero six six zero right now. Okay, thanks very much, Lara and Dan. That's that's great.
Thank you. Oh, a great interview, Ian. Thanks. Um, definitely an interesting charity, and it's come a long way in the last 10 years. Um, I think it really feels like that they know what they're offering now, and it, they are making a huge difference to people. Um, in the interview, Ian, you mentioned the Switch 180 video several times. Um, yeah. Here's a little clip um, about it. I'm Laquan. I'm from London. And this is my story. My life was going backwards. You know it is. You grow up in a place, the same old dramas, the same old faces, the same old routine. You don't choose it. Why do you think um, it struck a chord with you? What, what made it so powerful? Well, it's very professionally uh, filmed. Uh, and you saying that's a surprising thing for anyone working in the ski industry? <laughs> No, I think, you know, it just like I looked at it and kind of thought, wow, you know, there must have been a budget that went into this. But, uh, you know, the, the time was volunteered by uh, an agency uh, who, who helped them out with it. But it, it's brilliantly done. You know, it tells a, um, a story that touches you emotionally and it's a genuine story. Um, the the guy who's featured it, his name I must admit escapes me just now. That is a real story uh, of of his life. How you know he was close to going down uh, a kind of route which, let's just say the, the you know the wrong route in life. And the switch one eighty is they managed to change or through snow camp he changed his direction. You know one eighty and went into a, a completely different. Uh, sphere uh, through the opportunities that snow camp pre uh, presented and it is emotional and i thought initially oh maybe it's over sentimental uh, sentimentalizing you know this story but um it's extremely good and i encourage anyone just to kind of search uh, hashtag switch 80 or look for switch 80 on youtube and and watch a video and, and you'll see at the end of it there you can just text uh, send a text which will uh, give a donation to snow camp and and help them um you know, in their goal of uh, helping more children and underprivileged people working, uh, living in kind of inner city areas to access something that, you know, a, a sport that does have a bit of a reputation for being elitist. So I think it's a really good thing. It's an interesting point that you say the sport is elitist, which it is really. It's I not think it has a reput reputation for being elitist. I, I don't necessarily think that skiing is elitist. Well, maybe not elitist, but not um, not completely accessible to everybody. I think that's probably a better way of putting yep, it. Yeah, okay, yeah. And but I think we see with snow camp, and you know, also not just snow camp, like a lot of our winter athletes who you know, you know, live in the centre of England, not known for its mountains and stuff, and they've gone along and they've they've found a hill to slide on. And it shows that the sport is more than just this elitist thing. It, it can be really expiring for lots of people and people really enjoy it. And it's great to see that it works in more than just one way of, you know, just rich people having a good time drinking um, on the hill and going skiing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. You know, snow camp um, and and the example of, you know, the, the fridge kids, for want of a, a better phrase, even though, you know, a whole bunch of them learnt on, on dry slopes. You know, people from Sheffield, um, Halifax, uh, Stoke and, you know, other um, areas that you, you might not consider to be the ski type of areas all learnt their trade initially on, on the UK slopes. And so, you know... It, I think people will have seen them in the Olympics and what I'm hoping um, that we will see 
is um, something similar to after Jenny Jones won her medal at Sochi. You know, a real um, burst of uh, interest in those UK slopes. And in fact, um, I'm going up to the snow centre in Hemel Hempstead uh, later today. And I'm hoping to um, to track down someone there who I can just uh, have a chat with and see if they've seen any impact yet. The time is about 7.30pm. I'm in London, St Pacrius. I'm about to board the Eurostar to Borg San Maurice and eventually go on to Lazark. I'm not going for a week of skiing, but just a day. That's right, I was going to travel the 700 miles to the Tarantaise Valley to see what a skiing day trip was like. The journey will take about 11 hours and when I wake up, I'll be in the Alps. Prices for an overnight Eurostar start at £75 each way. It's worth noting that when you're booking, you have the option to either get um, the once a week direct train or you can catch a regular Eurostar service and change in Paris onto another train. Now, when I wasn't making this journey on my own, I was uh, with my old roommate, from Lazark. So we're on the Eurostar now. I'm not alone. I'm with Dave from If You Ski. He's a friend of the show. I'm a friend of the show, apparently, these days. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on your trip, Dave. Not a problem. Um, first of all, you've done this trip a few times. Yeah. Um, why? Is it worth it? And am I going to be really tired at the end of it? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, it's, def- it's definitely worth it. Now, the itinerary was this. We would leave at 7.30pm on Friday. We would arrive in Borg Saint-Maurice in the Alps at 6.30 Saturday morning. We would then catch a funicular up to the Zark about 7.30. We'd head up into Arc 2000, find where we could leave our bags, go to the ski set, hire some skis, and then be on the slopes for 9 o'clock. Obviously, we'd stop for lunch, finish skiing about 4, maybe a few apres pints, catch a funicular back down and then the train leaves at 10.20 p.m. Saturday night and we would be home at 7.20 in London on Sunday morning. You catch the train all the time. Yeah. You don't like flying. No. But other than that, the fact you don't like flying, why catch the train? Why is it a good idea? I actually quite uh, quite enjoy the journey. Um, this direct journey specifically is really really good because you can go from St Pancras and I actually live quite close to St Pancras um, I'm on the East Midlands line um, you can go from St Pancras on a Friday night and be in the Alps on Saturday morning at 7am um, in theory with some sleep behind you and go straight onto the slopes which is fantastic um, even via Paris it's actually quite easy to do two hours from London change three hours to Geneva or five hours to Borgsum Race and the actual door to Jordan door-to-door journey time is similar to flying. And you get an extra day skiing as well, or two extra days. If you, you do the overnight... For eight days. If you do Friday night overnight outbound and Saturday night back, yeah, you ski both Saturdays, which on a normal package transfer, package holiday, your transfers are on the Saturday, so you don't ski at all on the Saturday. So, yeah, eight days instead of six. I should quickly point out that we are quite lucky we even got on this train. Um, I put my bag down next to the bar where I met Dave. Um, after a, a drink or two, I went to the toilet, came back, and we were like, oh, we've got 10 minutes to check in, we better rush. As we were about to leave, we realised that my bag wasn't there. Um, a huge panic ensued. Um, mindless, you know, n- numerous things went through my head, wondering what we're going to do. Uh, I took the rational approach and asked the bar staff, and for some reason they took the serious precaution of picking up my bag and putting it into their cellar. So thanks and not thanks for that. Uh, Dave had an interesting question, though. 
bearing in mind this is a one day ski trip, what would have happened if I hadn't found my bag? Now, Dave, what's your opinion on this? Well, from my own selfish point of view, and here's a selfish point of view, um, I actually, in the two minutes that we spent not knowing where your bag was, I went through about four scenarios, and my personal conclusion was quite clearly that I was going to drag you onto the train no matter what happened, bag or not, and we were then going to fix it from the train. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Um, after that, we carried on talking for, uh, for longer than we should have done, eventually decided to try and get some sleep. Dave opted for the floor with blankets. I went for curled up in a chair um, and very, very restful it was too. Uh, so it's 6.30 in the morning, just driving Borg Samaris. Um, it's about an hour until the funicular opens. Not really sure there is to do with Borg Samaris for an hour at 6.30 in the morning, but we shall find out. Well, I can tell you right now that there isn't very much to do with Borg Samaris at 6.30 in the morning other than wait for the funicular to open, which we did. The time is, what's, um, what's the time, Dave? Uh, 7.14. The time is 7.14. We are on the funicular up to Lizark. Um How did you sleep on the train, Dave? Floor, slept on the floor. Uh, four hours, not bad. Three pillows, one on head, one on hip, um, one in between. That's good. I was wondering, do they actually call it the sleeper train? Because I was thinking it's more of a, just a train that goes overnight that you could potentially sleep on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not actually a sleeper train technically. It doesn't have actual beds. We're now at nine o'clock. We're in the ski set. And uh, we're just about to get our skis. And then we should be on the slope fairly soon. Thanks, uh, thanks again to Ski Center. Yeah. Bonjour. Bonjour. Well, Dave, we've made it. First run of the day. Down to the Puisse and Esprit. That's good. I don't think I've ever done that one season. So, yeah, I'm on the first run. It's um, pretty much a whiteout. But beggars can't be choosers. We're here for a day. We shall make the most of it. So it's going to half past 11, uh, we're in a cable car. Not done much, um, done quite a lot of skiing. How, how many kilometres? 20.4. 20.4 kilometres, that's pretty good going. In two hours. In two hours. Um, I'm feeling a bit hungry. How, how are you feeling tired-wise, Dave? Uh, I'm okay. Mm. Um, but the skiing's good, I've enjoyed it. It's um, good snow. Couldn't ask for better snow. Could ask for slightly better weather. Uh, that's the gamble you take when you go for a one day. Well, yeah, absolutely. What do you fancy for lunch? Um, I like the idea of the crossy fat we've been talking about yeah. non-stop. Yeah. Or a pizza, I'll see what they do. Absolutely. Uh, anyone who doesn't know what a crossy flat is, you should try it. It's really tiny squares of pasta in some lovely cheese sauce. You've probably got a box of it at home that you bought um, recklessly at the gift shop, <laughs> not knowing what it was. Well, actually, you probably haven't got it. You, you, your mum has it in her kitchen cupboard. <laughs> One day she'll find out what to do with it. As you can tell by that rambling chat, we were starting to feel the tiredness effect. So we stopped for lunch and indeed we ate some crossy flat. But after that, we got straight back out on the slopes. Well, so it's going to half past four. We've skied quite a lot. We're on our last few runs. We're just getting to Villa Roja. The snow's been falling all day. No one's been down here. It's fresh powder on the feet. We're off the slopes. We uh, are in a pub. How do you feel, Dave? It's been a long day. It's been a long day. Uh, wet. 
Yeah, it's been quite wet. It's been quite wet. Um, I'm physically quite tired. tired. Yeah, it's five o'clock and I'm ready for dinner. Um, so I think we're probably going to order dinner now, aren't we? And I think one thing worth mentioning, if you're looking to do this and you're planning on a big out prey before the Euro Tunnel back, mm. you are going to be hugely disappointed. Mm. And the reason for that is, is because it's a Saturday, that's the only day you can go. Uh, or there's no out prey ski bands on or anything like that. Everyone is essentially on a coach transferring to and from airports. So anyway, that was pretty much the end of our day. We successfully managed to get back on the train, quite tired, but well fed, very happy, and quite satisfied about skiing all day. But one last thing, we are not the only people that do this sort of thing. Um, so Dave, I'm, we're not alone. We're not alone in doing this trip. I think a few people do it. Um, but can I read you this email? I just listened and thoroughly enjoyed your last podcast and wanted to drop you a quick note. I was listening to your guests discuss the variations available in skiing holidays such as ski weekends, so I was compelled to email to note that it was also possible to go skiing for a day, which we demonstrated just before Christmas. As a way of background, a weekend boys' ski trip, I think it was a stag do, was not logistically possible mainly due to family commitments and so instead of our usual investment in Christmas nights out in London we turned it into a day of skiing uh, it went a little like this um, 6am easy jet flight Geneva Bristol um, £40 per person hand luggage only ski boots carried on as hand luggage for efficiency 10 o'clock leave Geneva private transfer 11 o'clock wow. arrive in Flane Flame was chosen as it was the closest resort to Geneva with a decent amount of snow. Bearing in mind it was the middle of December, there was only a limited number of resorts open. 5 p.m. I would say the ski all day. 5 p.m. enjoyed some apres ski. 6:30 left Flen for the airport, then hopped on the last flight back from Geneva to Bristol, and they were back in their local pub by 10:15, well in time for the wow. last orders. Um, he concedes, this is uh, James Hawkins, he concedes that um, the above relies a little bit on luck, ensuring the timings worked, but that was part of the challenge. Um, and they relied on locals to give back their ski gear. That sounds more mental than what we're doing. This seems like quite leisurely. Well, absolutely, because we're on an overnight train and we could have a bit of a delay. Maybe maybe a three-hour delay. We're still going to arrive in Borg Saint Maurice tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. and have a full day skiing. If he has a three-hour delay, then it's half his holiday gone. You're going to get half an hour on the slopes and then you turn around and go home. Um, so yeah, that that is absolutely mental. That's a massive that's a massive risk. But if if it pays off, then amazing. What a brilliant trip. So that was my day trip, Ian. Um, have you ever have you ever been on a day trip to the Alps yourself? Uh, I've actually been on two day trips to the Alps. Um, one of them was a long time ago when I was working for Bladen Nines in their reservations. And uh, in some respects, kind of similar trip to to what you did is I went out and they had the snow train. I um, it was pre, pre-Eurostar. So we took the train down to... Um, to Dover, ferry to Calais, and then took the overnight from Calais to Borg Saint Maurice. Got off the train, went up to Val d'Isère, skied for the day in Val d'Isère, went back on Saturday night to Borg Saint Maurice, and took the train back and arrived back in London on Sunday afternoon, and then went back into work in reservations and blade lines on the Monday morning. That was good fun. Hardcore. 
Was that pre-funicular <laughs> days as well? Gosh, I have no idea. I can't even remember that far back. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was great. And actually, the second time I went to the Alps uh, for the day was um, the, the day I proposed to my wife. So I actually, it was a surprise. I told her we were going out for the day and I'd bought tickets to Geneva and we uh, flew out to Geneva. Uh, hired a car, drove to Chamonix and I proposed to her in Chamonix. And then we flew back. She said yes, fortunately. Did you uh, did you go skiing or did you just turn up in Chamonix no, and propose? in the summer. So we just went was... through. Oh, that's a lovely story, Ian. There you I go. Didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't realise you were such a sentimental, romantic type. Well, there you go. It's all in there. It's all in there. But, you know, the mountains are very important to me. So that was a uh, something that I've always shared with, with my family and with her. Well, on that joyous note, I'm going to say that is everything in this show. Join us next time when we'll be chatting about some important ski stuff, I'm sure, <laughs> and uh, interviewing some more people. Um, thank you very much, Ian, for joining us. No worries. I, I will actually be skiing... Um, the next three Saturdays, which is quite exciting, in the snow centre in Helmer Homestead, then in uh, Les Saisies in uh, in France, and then in Courcheval in France, the following weekend after that. So lots to report, hopefully. Wow, I am um, going skiing. I'll be skiing next Saturday as well. Yeah, cool. But I will be skiing somewhere very niche. Have you ever skied in Rioja in Spain? No. No, neither have I. I'd imagine no one else has uh, who listens to this podcast. So I will be doing a report. Is that the Sierra Nevada? No, no, no. It's in. Uh, it's about um, an hour and a half south of Bilboa or Santander, if you prefer. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, it's a it's a little mountain range on its own. Um, there's nothing really um, surrounding it, and uh, I'm, I'm secretly quite excited. They've had just as much snow. Like they've got 300 meters and on their base level, so it should be nice for Easter. Well, I am really looking forward to uh, hearing about that one. Imagine. Right. Well, enjoy your skiing. In we'll chat soon. No worries. Bye, Jim. This is the Knowledge is Powder podcast. The music is by FreeFX and Ben Sound. It was presented by Jim Duncan and Ian Martin and kindly edited as well by Jim.